music dance experience. Don't pervert a handbook passage to me, okay? You are listening to a Lorehounds Plus properly Howard production covering the penultimate episode of season one of Severance. This is the one with the waffle party. Okay, Steve, I'm going to send you a image from my phone. Uh-huh. All right, so you, I, I'm assuming that you've gotten the image. Yes. All right, so I'm reading this book on screenplay writing. You know, there's a lot of structure theory that maybe I've sort of heard of or heard talked about nominally or, you know, around the margins, but never really seen it laid out. Basically what this author does is he's created this triangle structure and the three points of the triangle represent classical design arc plot, which is normal screenplay structure. Uh, minimalism or mini plot and then anti-structure and so the sort of the, the the call marks of the classic design are causality closed ending linear time external conflict single protagonist consistent reality and active protagonist all right so those are the things that you want in a film or in a screen story classically my guess is that you lean minimalist all right so here's what here's what you would want in a movie if with a minimalist structure open ending internal conflict multi-protagonists and passive protagonist now we've not talked about this before but i'm just curious to hear you sort of answer that accusation i accuse you steve osborne of favoring minimalism yeah in fact the 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 first screenplay the only one i've ever written all all the way through by myself uh kind of follows that i think um it is open-ended. Uh, yeah, that's my protagonist is fairly passive. Okay, uh-huh. so this is interesting to me. Open-ended, according to this particular author I'm reading, it means that it widens the emotional possibility at the end of the film. And so it really sort of leans on the emotionality of the audience rather than telling them what to feel at the end. You kind of leave it open. Mm-hmm. Um, no neat bows tied up at the end. And I thought that was interesting because I know that you're also uh, somewhat a fan of short stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort of that is a feature of the short story is is the open ending. Yeah, I like, I think one of the things I like about short stories, not only is that open ending, but I almost feel like you sort of just fall into a world and then fall back out of it. Internal conflict uh, rather than external conflict. I mean, I don't think that these are hard and fast rules, but I think, you know, I think about the kinds of, like, serious film that you like. And it's almost like the external conflict's important, but what really draws you in is the internal conflict. Yeah, that's, I'd say that holds. And then I would say multi-protagonists, my guess is that you're like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm fine with mm-hmm. one or many or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, not as yeah, that, one, that, that that one is probably less. Uh, uh-huh. And so. then I usually view passive protagonists as less interesting in, in my view than mm-hmm. active protagonists. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because uh, I think that what we're dealing with with Severance is something along the lines of a minimalism plot structure right yeah and i and and it might be what i'm rooting for yeah i think we and i think we've talked about this is like like how do you end it and i kind of like go i kind of hope don't like i mean it doesn't have to end right now i think that's the the thing about like see our series finales Uh 
that's the number one question, right? Like, how does it end? And uh, I think why a lot of people didn't like the end of Sopranos is because that didn't answer that, right? Yeah, um, that was open. I think, um, you know, Severance just ended, or not Severance, but uh, Succession just ended. Um, I think similar critique. Um, I don't know if you, have you seen Ted Lasso yet? Yes. Have you seen it all the way through? Yes. I think what we're dealing with with Ted Lasso is sort of like a, maybe a hybrid here. Mm-hmm. But there were quite a few bows tied at the end of that. Yeah, it's interesting. The bows were tied, and this is going to deal now with Ted Lasso spoilers. Sorry, Severance listeners. Um, but maybe not so much for Ted. I mean, kind of, but like he's home, but we don't know what that means exactly. Well, yeah, I think that, for instance, I think with that one, you don't really know what happens with he, him and his wife, you know. So there are there are a bit there is a bit of open endedness there, um, but uh, in terms of sort of the emotional resonance, it sort of leaves you with a happy feeling, and you, you get a sense that all these guys are going to be okay, right, right? And I think that that's that's generally. Uh, A classical design structure. Now, let me ask you this. My sense is that most comedy leans on a classical design and maybe needs to lean on that. Mm. What what would you say to that? I I would say that this kind of minimalist structure really works for a show like Severance, which has comedic elements, but I would not consider, you know, sort of a genre speaking a comedy right um, how do you feel? well but so again another one that probably doesn't fall in that category yeah i was gonna i was gonna say better call saul but um certainly doesn't i mean it's not a laugh riot by any stretch no no um, i mean certainly this is that that's a very you know the coen brothers used to say there are two kinds of films there's a silly film and a handsome film <laughs> something like Raising Arizona is very silly. Something like Blood Simple is handsome. Right. And I almost feel like something like... This is a handsome film. Severance is a handsome film. Mm-hmm. It's not a silly film. Although... <laughs> well, <laughs> there's... I guess... I guess Both you have worlds. moments of absurdity, right? So. Well, that's the thing I think is really fascinating about the two worlds, right? Which we're not entirely sure they're how different they are, right? Uh-huh. Because um, the only, I mean, we know the the inside Lumen ethos is is very Kier centric, and um, and there are finger traps and. Uh, yeah, also, dynamite, dynamite deviled eggs. Um, <laughs> very, very silly, right? Yeah, there's, there's, but, but, but it's all done. The reason why it's so absurd is because it's, it's done in like this sort of like almost worshipful, uh, you know, yeah, but, religious context. But did you get the little, the little graphics, like the little computer graphics yeah, of, yeah, of yeah. Egan flying away? Yeah, a little uh, double dragon cut cutscene and but then and but then meanwhile we don't know much about the other we know that um catholicism exists in outside world we know that so that we assume it's part of our regular world but we do know that cobell's mother was a catholic or something right so we do know for for uh, some of these people though uh somebody like a rickon it matters which is absurd right i mean because (laughs) well because or, or the people around him have sort of allowed him to believe that he matters that's fair yeah that 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 could be true but i mean he exists and he's and he's published doesn't look like it's self-published uh but it's you know so there, so that exists um oh no I, I i would totally say this was a self-published book <laughs> <laughs> that's been my you don't think it's on oprah's long. list no <laughs> i i do not now i i and hey I have self-published a couple books myself, um, so I, I I won't knock self-published books. But Rickon, well, you are the Rickon of this podcast. So. <laughs> I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> so, all right. So this, I feel like this is a, you know, it's just interesting. I, I was reading this uh, book this morning 
uh, it's a shout out to Robert McKee. Uh, this is a sort of a classic book that you would read in a you know screenwriting class. Um, and I was just realizing it looks like Severance has a pretty minimalist structure, which really kind of works pretty well for both a pilot episode and a season one because. There's no expectation to wrap everything up, right? Um, so, I do I do think that this has worked so far pretty well. Um, of course, there's always the danger for people who prefer classical structure um, that you might you know you'll get to the end of Lost and you'll kind of be disappointed, um, or right. or uh, alternatively for someone like you. Who was like, wait, the reason I like this is because it was sort of like, it really guarded the mysteries well. And I didn't like that they tied a bow on the end. Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know. It's it's interesting you know, to me. I, that... I like that if it's if it becomes one of these things where it's like so well crafted. And this is where it gets really, you have to write from the ending backwards, uh -huh. right? Where it's, where it's so well crafted that when you see it come together it's like oh look at all this was all leading to this moment right and um, yeah and even then you don't have to necessarily tie a bow on it are you good at tying bows i was thinking about that uh not probably a couple days ago as i was tying my shoes i'm like i'm still doing this huh <laughs> like it's it feels like the silliest part of my outfit no matter what even a dress shoe has a bow i go tie a little bow and I do it in a way that I was taught when I was a child. And how many things, you know, like that you that you were taught that you don't know how to do that someone else would do for you that you're like, okay, good. Now I can be, you know, close to fifty and I can tie this little bow on my shoes. You feel like feel like you've mastered it by now? Yeah, I think I got it. But I also think like this, like this is, I mean, I understand we, you know, we there's Velcro in this world and there are buckles and there are all these different ways you can have on on your shoes. But it just seems like even the bow is like, hmm, I just, I don't know. I'm just, I thought by now we would all have transitioned to Velcro. I do have um, some shoes that uh, I can lace up with an app, which is nice. With I an have, app? Yeah, I just have to remember to charge my shoes. So you you've got Back to the Future two shoes. It's the same design. It's yeah, they're they're Nikes. They're not the Back to the Future um, uh, full like I mean, those are very expensive to get the the actual. But they're the same. It's the same technology. Do you have a hoverboard and a jacket that can dry itself? See, this is what I'm talking about. See, like we we get we get like we got to the bow thing, and then we just we kind of ended it. <laughs> we skipped right over to AI. <laughs> so the shoes are an actual homage to the film. Mm. Yeah, they are. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of styles in these in this particular. Huh. Uh, but like you know, and I can. But it's nice. I can control the um, those little like the buttons on there that you know can. They actually, if you don't have your phone, you can lace and unlace with the buttons on the shoe, and you can also control the colors of those buttons. Do you feel like they they get the right tightness, or does it? Oh like... yeah, you can, you can always adjust it. It's got a little. It's got a little wow. scroll thing on there, oh, so you can make right. it loose or. All right, next time I'm over at your house drinking, I'd like to see these things in action. Mm, I know you would. <laughs> All right, uh, this is episode eight, What's for Dinner? Irving's Audi is shown to be living alone in an apartment where he repeatedly paints identical images of a dark corridor. Um, he's a, he, also, he also has a dog. He has a dog. Uh, he's got hot coffee mm -hmm. and he lives alone and he, and he just paints and he listens to motorheads, ace of spades as, as his muse. And the only note that I wrote for this is that I'm kind of jealous of Irvin's Audi's. <laughs> yeah. Everything, everything about it is like, oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I, was I love coffee. I was, looking at, dogs. I was, I was watching him drink coffee and hit that button for ace of spades and i just thought <laughs> this guy is living life you know this yeah. is supposed to be sort of dystopia but wow i'm a little yeah. jealous 
Yeah, no, he, I mean, he doesn't talk as far as yet, anyway, as far as we know. I mean, um, kind of just sits there and looks out. He just sits and looks. I get the sense, I mean, he's he's out, he's in a park, he's he's dressed warmly, he's reading a book, he's got a dog. I, I, I think that it's meant to tell us, I think the story that you're trying to tell us is this guy's lonely. I gotta tell you. <laughs> yeah. Gotta tell you. Looks attractive. Lots of, <laughs> lots, of, lots of days. This is like, mm, that's like, what would you do if you won the lottery? I'm like, that. I'm looking at it. <laughs> Maybe I'd, I'd mix it up. Maybe it wouldn't be Ace of Spades every time. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's so, okay. Not only that, I mean, the other uh, takeaway that we're supposed to get from our brief look at the herb is, I mean, just painting the same thing over and over again. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but what's and you, odd? You get you get the sense that maybe this is uh, sort of compulsory, right? So that's the thing. So here we so here's a glimpse of of somebody that you know we've only seen. This is the first time we see him out, right? So we've uh, we've seen Helly and we've seen Mark and we've seen just a dash of Dylan. Yeah. Um, but so this is the first time we get to see Irv and. And he's very methodical. Nothing, nothing seems like it. Just seemed like, yeah, like you said, there's a loneliness to it. There's a, there's a routine to it. And then he goes to painting. And what I find very interesting about the way that they choose to to portray this, which you know, suggests to me it's a clue of some sort, um, is he he's not like I mean he's he's painting in a way that's kind of like you said compulsory and maybe a little manic, but not not nothing leading up to it suggests that's how he is in everything. Sure. There's, a, there, there's a pragmatism to this, uh, to whatever it is. If, if, you know, if it's madness, if it's, because if it's madness, it doesn't, it doesn't portray itself that way up until the point he starts to, until you see, Oh, he's painting that again. Um, yeah. So I have some head cannon on this and I, I'm not going to save this for spoilers just because I don't think it spoils anything. Um, here's my head cannon, and I don't know if this is the case, but this is what I've kind of convinced myself up, and uh, clear, clearly I could be wrong. My sense is that Irv has decided to undergo severance, so he because he is sort of an artistic spirit, and he thinks this will allow me to focus only on my art. So I'm gonna sever my sever my brain. And I won't know anything about office politics. I won't have to, that won't have to occupy any of my thoughts. I will be an artist only in my spare time. And I will live the life of an artist, thinking that that's going to be good for his creativity. And then what ends up happening is that the severance procedure so messes his up, so breaks his brain that the thing that he thought would enhance his creative ability has really almost frozen him mm -hmm. and so now he's now he's just simply trying to process his trauma and he doesn't even know what his trauma is but there's something right. deep, deep in him that wants to get out that he can only i mean i guess that's what trauma is the trauma is having to relive an experience over and over and over and you have no control over when you relive it um and so that's that's my headcanon about him because I think he probably was artistic even before he went on under the procedure and but the only thing that he's producing is the same image over and over and over and over and it's kind of a commentary on their you know the severance procedure actually is horrible for work life balance right right um, yeah, and you and you can go maybe even a step further and say that okay if he's if you follow that he's an artistic soul and he does he he's he's painting this like he may have it may be one of those things where he paints other things and he has painted other things but when he painted this when this one came up it triggered something in the subconscious right or it yeah it, it it brought him to something that was like you know how like well pd would have these like these split uh visions after being uh reintegrated maybe maybe just by the virtue of creating something that he didn't really realize where it was coming from once he got once he made it, it it sort of brought him the same way like mark made the tree 
Yeah, um, sure, sure. You know, like something like he doesn't know where it's coming from, but he, it came from somewhere. And he, but he's maybe not putting that same level of thought into why, whereas Irving might. So maybe he keeps painting it because he's trying to chase that feeling or trying yeah, to chase he's that, digging. that initial. He's digging yeah. for something authentic and he knows that there's something down there. But yeah. And even if it's the same thing, yeah. the action of doing it might trigger more. Yeah. And all he ever gets to is this corridor, which suggests, I mean, just very literally, it's it's a passage. It's not actually a destination. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. I, I, I will let's get back to the the painting a little bit later, because um, I, I right. I've got more to say about this. But um, Heli reaches one hundred percent on her data refinement file, thereby meeting MDR's quota for the quarter, and, and this this results in a a celebratory. Um, video game graphic from the 80s <laughs> yeah and yeah. i i just really laughed hard when kier turns around and says i love you <laughs> well I, what i love about it is he doesn't just say i love you he goes i i love you like like <laughs> he stutters yeah there's like a moment where it's like either either he's like oh i'm not sure if i'm ready to to say this part or or dramatic effect or whatever it's so it's so bizarre that it's choosing to be like so so authentic in that regard. Just... And the look on her face is like, oh, wow, wasn't really expecting that. <laughs> it really was. It brought me back to the. I don't know if you remember the the final celebratory uh, graphics for Street Fighter Two. Oh yeah. I didn't get there very often because, as you recall, I, I I was a one-trick pony on that video game. Yeah, I was all e Honda, thousand point slap, uh, <laughs> almost all the time. Yeah, no, it had <laughs> it had the, it just had that feeling like, um, hey, great, great job. Uh, now you get to, I, I guess, it's a little odd, you know, after you've gone through this massive process to see these kind of lame graphics right i mean look looking back you know i spent literally hours trying to beat these video games um and then your reward is like something that you wouldn't choose to watch right you know if if you would if you actually flip the, were flipping the channels and like saw that on the tv you wouldn't like stop and say oh let's see what this is about just yeah if you knew that you'd be like what am i this is what i'm going for (laughs) but you know i guess if you're in an environment where no one's telling you that they love you (laughs) a a little computer graphic egan saying that and then flying away might be meaningful to you perhaps i thought it was a little odd that um it's like it's everything's down to the wire like there's like a debt like like a really hard deadline for this Right. And it's like sometime in the morning. Yeah. Or it's like a midday deadline, but it has to be like down to the minute. Because after she's done, they've got time for a big party. No one no one explains why the quota has to be met. There's a sense of urgency. Like, boy, if we don't. So is this contrived? Is it like... This is sort of part of the experiment. Let's let's get these people to think that if they if you know there's a time limit on this, and if you if you if you don't get it done before the time limit, then something horrible is going to happen. Or does this actually matter for? Does the quota actually matter? Right. Yeah. Because you, I mean, Cobell is is she seems pretty sincere. Everyone in the office seems to think this is really important. Like they're they're actually worried that. Maybe this is not going to work. Maybe this is not going to happen. Now, I can see for the four employees that wanted to have this little plan at the end, in order to make the plan work, they need to have the party, right? They need to have their their quarterly party experience. So that that raises the stakes for them. But then then we're back to sort of Cobell's motivations again. Why does why does everyone act like this is an important quota? Well, because there's just so much mystery around. Like, well, why does it? Why does any of it matter? You know, and we still don't know why angry numbers or scary numbers matter. And is the same kind of fervent 
expectation on like in like Bert's tote bags. Like, right? Are they gonna get out? <laughs> are they gonna are they gonna print in time? Right, right, right at the deadline here. <laughs> Is everyone in this office like, geez, I gotta touch up this painting in time, or else. <laughs> I gotta get these baby goats are not ready. Oh no. I like to think that there's someone whose job it is just to make deviled eggs. Oh yeah. Yeah, if they're not just right. Oh, they're they're pretty good at it. <laughs> I don't know if you've had a bad deviled egg, but I mean Oh, I have. I've had a bad deviled egg. <laughs> I mean there there are there are good deviled eggs and I, I've I've only had them once or twice in my life. I see. The thing is, is, I think the majority of deviled eggs are the same in the world. But when you get a transcendent deviled egg, it's never as great as how bad a bad deviled egg is. <laughs> it's like the reverse pistachio. It's like you know <laughs> that you know that one in twenty pistachios is going to be rotten. Oh, it's yeah. going to be rancid. It's going to make you never yeah. want to eat another pistachio. Yeah, you're like, did I just need a pile of fingernails? What did I? What but then that? you end up, you're like, I got to get this taste out of my mouth. So then you eat another pistachio. Yeah, I'm going to wash this pistachio down with another pistachio. <laughs> Deviled eggs are the opposite. About one in 20 is actually worth eating. <laughs> so why do they still exist? I have no idea. So, yeah, I have no idea why the, the quote is important. And it's weird it's weird that in this show, it, it kind of doesn't matter. Everyone's kind of selling the importance of this without us really knowing why. Okay. Cobell schedules Mark for a final wellness session with Miss Casey, during which Mark and Miss Casey fail to remember each other as husband and wife. Cobell orders that Miss Casey be sent back down to the testing floor. Does Cobell want to want confirmation that they won't remember or is she dis is she trying to make them remember or what what's going it, on that's with her? yeah this moment feels like she like she's trying right like i got that's the vibe i, I seem to get on this re-watch. it was almost like i'm gonna try this one last time i want because even even milchek's like like what like it's or like we it's it's been proved it's it's functional we proved it it works yeah yeah so 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 the sense that she's like testing it again or like, well, we're going to do this again. It's like, it's either she's trying to find a flaw or she's trying to break it. Well, she already found a flaw because he, he sculpted the tree. Right. Right. So, so I then think I think she's trying to think, okay, I wonder if we do this one more time, maybe I can prove that there's, there's a gap or something. Right. Yeah. And it, and to the, to the extent that it's like even Milchak doesn't think she needs to be sent back down to the testing floor, which makes the testing floor sound that much more ominous, right? Okay, so let's talk about that, right? So we find out that the testing floor is looks exactly like Irv's paintings, right? Mm-hmm. Which tells me, beyond a shadow of the doubt, that Irv has been to the testing floor. Right. And based on Milchak's sort of demeanor based on miss casey's reluctance based on cobell's tone of voice everything has told me that the testing floor is kind of horrible yeah yeah <laughs> it um, sounds like any time you would <laughs> i don't know that <laughs> a person going to a testing floor always sounds like a bad idea <laughs> so all right so yeah so this this kind of is why i think there's a trauma element to what Irv's doing. And I don't know what kind of trauma we're dealing with. Like it maybe it maybe it's a painful experience to be wiped. Uh or maybe it's maybe it's well, more like, you know, cuz we do have the you know, the break room. Maybe it's there's a lot of that that goes on down there. I'm not sure. Well, you're dealing with the chip in, inside a brain, so it's it's entirely reasonable to consider that that might do lasting damage to somebody, right? Mm. Um, so, what we know about Miss Casey or uh, Gemma is she's 107 hours old, <laughs> and most of that time is in the half hour sessions. So that's a so th- there's a lot that's being told here, right? Uh-huh. is one how many half hour sessions does she do in a day is her whole job half hour sessions 
Uh, or does she come in for a half hour? Is she a part-timer, right? Or at least consciously part-time. Right. Um, and the most, to, well, because it has to be, right? Because the most she's ever been awake was when she observed Mark's, uh, Mark's yeah, crew. Yeah, eight hours. That, those were her, so, so her she's never golden worked, moments. Or she, yeah, her, that was her golden, golden uh, years. Uh, so she's never been awake as long as everybody else. So she just comes in little, little spurts and fits whenever they go. It's almost as if she gets activated. Right. And that's, that's kind of bonkers. Right. So that sort of speaks to what we talked about. I think in previous, uh, uh, episodes is just like, what is, what is her role? Does she ever leave? Because I mean, she can't be seen outside, uh, by Mark. Right. So she's not getting airlifted in as far as we know. So so she's, she's now is deviled this, eggs. Now this feels like now this really feels like Mark is as a key experimental cog here, right? Or at least right. You know, there's several of these maybe, but but this is a this is a very specific experiment it seems, and it's so it's it, so then it starts to beg the question is like, well, is she just what else? What what is she doing when she's not that? Is she are there multiple? severance uh, options is she does she exist in lumen in other ways on other floors uh you know during the day or she just is she, you know it, it's it's a fascinating idea yeah, can, you, can you flip a switch and now she's you know she's doing exotic dancing right because that's the other, other thing, right? floor you know right we don't yeah exactly because these other folks are wearing all the you know the, the masks being worn um we don't, you know, that's kind of my first thought was like, is one of them, Miss Casey. Uh, and, and so, yeah, it, it, it create, let's say, you, you know, that the testing floor is bad and what is it, <laughs> how often has she gone down to the testing floor? You know, is that where she spends a lot of her time? I mean, the fact that she's at center back, what are they doing? <laughs> what, what changes? Well, they're making deviled eggs. Yeah. They're practicing their dance routines. <laughs> uh, they're conducting wellness checks. There's a lot that has to go on, I suppose. Uh, yeah, no, this these are all questions that the show has not answered, and I don't know if it will answer it. I do like the idea that these wellness checks are complete falsehood. Right. Uh, we we know that Mark on the out, outside is a total jerk, mm-hmm. and you know he's it's well earned. He's he's grieving or whatever, but he <laughs> he's he's certainly I I wouldn't think that he can brighten someone's day with just a smile or you know all all you know I I, I just don't believe any of these wellness check facts so called facts about any of the the people in here, and of course it just kind of goes to the point that nothing nothing in this office space is what it seems. I mean, I like to think that it's possible that Audi Mark can uh, get a tent up in under three minutes. <laughs> that's that's the thing that is the, the linchpin for me. That's the yeah. smoking gun. It is You're impossible. Like, There's no way. There's no way this guy. <laughs> no one has ever got a tent up in under three minutes. Not as drunk as Mark is. Not unless it's a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, next one. Cobell is suspended by the board for withholding knowledge of Hallie's suicide attempt and her extracurricular activities as Mrs. Selvig. Meanwhile, MDR celebrates with the coveted egg bar. Mm. Um, do you have any thoughts on this? There's a lot, a lot of this was the office party. Yeah. How do you, how do you like office parties in general? Ugh. I mean, it beats working, but I mean, the office party can often really? be really because I would I would prefer work. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes work is better than the office party, especially if the office party is like, okay, now that you've done the office party, uh, you have more work to do because you wasted that time. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like the 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 classic. Oh, you don't worry about doing the dishes on Mother's Day, Mom. They'll be the, they'll be there for you tomorrow. You know? <laughs> I mean, my feeling with office parties is like I, I don't, I don't even like parties that much. I mean, what? Yeah. 
I, I realize that the purpose of these things is sort of quote unquote team building. Um, I don't ever really felt like after a party, I feel like I feel, I feel better about this team. I, I'm the guy, I'm the guy that would be like, Hey, we, uh, we did a barbecue or we got this thing catered. Come on into the break room. And I go in there and I make a plate and then I go back to my desk. <laughs> and somebody pointed out that like, you're pretty antisocial. And I said, no, I, I, I like hanging out with people. I like. <laughs> uh, right, right before you kill them in your, in the shed in the backyard. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Symbolism of eggs. <clears throat> if I was going to say to you that the egg represents a symbol, in what way is an egg symbolic? Any thoughts? Um, well, I guess it's like life, right? Sure. Fertility. Fertility, um, sort of nascent. I mean, you could almost, sometimes people, you would say like, he hasn't come out of a shell, meaning maybe he's not quite social yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I think, I think new life is probably the, the one that I would most think of. Um, and the reason why I bring this up is not just because of the egg party, but I noticed this episode that the official signage for Lumen in the O, the negative Mm. space of the O is like a teardrop. Mm -hmm. Similar not not the same, but similar to an egg shape, right? Okay. And then there's a lot with arrows in this show. Like, if you're gonna go up, the elevate the, the, there's a little arrow above the elevator that points up. Similar shape. Teardrop, egg, up arrow, similar shape. And it makes me think with a show that is sort of demonstrated that it is very intentional with the details. I I'm starting to wonder about what the what the what these images are suggesting. That's the thing, right? That's what this this show does is because there's so little information being given, you're forced to try to find clues. Right. And then of course, all right, so if you saw Lumen, which suggests to me like light, right? Right. But then the only image that you see in the text is a like a drop either like a water drop or a teardrop or something like that what would you think that company does yeah because it looks like a globe at first right like there's a globe surrounding and then yeah i'm gonna look at the logo yeah because because the it's an interesting uh thing because the all the letters are the same except that O is is yeah is purposefully different right and it's to the point where it's that that would be the logo and it's the the O itself yeah the O itself is the logo right so yeah and it's very much very much droplet I suppose yeah it's a droplet it's a droplet so like if I saw that I thought is this a is a light company is it a water company water filtration maybe. Um, I, you know, maybe not worth noting at all, but I did pick up on that a bit this episode. All right. So the MDR team prepares for Dylan to remotely awaken them on the outside. Heli kisses Mark before departing. So the plan here, this is their big plan is to go into overtime mode on the outside, find someone trustworthy and tell them everything. Is this a good plan? <laughs> well, I immediately get nervous, right? Because we see where where uh, uh, Mark's Audi is going to be. I mean, it's it's sort of like it's the kind of thing that, like, I guess I guess is the first step. But it's, my feeling is that they don't really know what's going to happen next. They're just going to give this a try and kind of see what happens. Well, they don't have as much uh, awareness of stakes, right? I right. mean, that's that's the other side of it, right? It's like they 
they still sort of see their Audi as kind of a fantasy creature and the outside world as, you know, like who knows, right? I mean, they don't, I mean, they have memories of things. So they're aware of language and, and, uh, you know, could speak to things like muscle shows. They, I don't know why. Yeah, they, they've got cultural you know. touchstones. They can like name a state. Yeah, uh, so they're not gonna they're not gonna go into a world and be like, well, I, you know, what is that thing? Oh, it's a tree. Uh, you know, whatever. But, but they they don't they have no idea what they're about to get into, and they're they're so we've talked about the childlike uh, nature of the any. Yeah, and it would make sense what they're doing to them because they're they're still pretty self-absorbed they don't have a lot of other other things to consider yeah this um, this plan is almost childlike right um who knows it might help but it's like they've got no idea what it's gonna you be. ever run away from home when you're like little <laughs> oh many times oh yeah <laughs> and it's like you don't know where you're gonna go and what you're gonna do get to the you bottom like, of maybe, the road and turn around. yeah you get to the bottom of the road and you go well i hope that sure taught them a lesson they're probably missing me so much right now. I'm going to go I back. went so far as to get a stick and tie, mm-hmm. <laughs> tie oh, a little... Yeah. I made a bindle. little kerchief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to the point where I was looking for a kerchief. Yeah. Right? Like, I didn't really... that. And exactly, you don't understand hobo culture, and the idea isn't like... It's not like the kerchief on a stick is the best possible way to transport anything. I live in a house where there are tote bags, backpacks, there are suitcases. I mean, I could have, I mean, if I was really serious, I would have been fine to take stuff. You don't know but how instead, much I spent time... most of my time looking. <laughs> You're like, if I could just find a kerchief, I could run away. Yeah, and it seems like if you find the kerchief now, it's like now I got to find a, a, you know, a load-bearing stick. <laughs> I can't tell you how much of my childhood was fantasizing about becoming a hobo. Oh, yeah. You ever jump on a moving train? <laughs> nope. It's pretty terrifying. <laughs> you you have? Yeah, a train that was just taken off. We were like, hey, let's jump on this train. And then we get on it. And it was that same kind of... And, and we're old. Like, we're not, I mean, not old, but I mean, we're like 18 years old. And it's like, ah, this is a bad idea. And then uh, one of the guys stayed on for a long time. Like, we jump off, and you're like, oh, so that was scary. And then the next thing you know, like, he's down. He's probably like, I don't know, 100 yards, 200 yards. And <laughs> he finally jumps off, and the train's picking up a little more speed. We thought that was it. We thought he lived in North Carolina. Now. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Dylan receives a waffle party yeah, as a reward <laughs> for meeting Quota. Richie dons a Cure Egan head and sits <laughs> with a replica of Cure of Cure's bedroom in the perpetuity wing, while ritualistic and seductive dances are being performed in front of him. I mean, we've talked about the waffle party before. Mm. Um, I'd like to point out that in this scene. The masks by the seductive dancers are a jester, a bride, a ram, and an old lady face. Yeah, and the bride the bride seems a little uh, aghast. The bride, yes, she seems like she's not too happy with her situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the the jester seems sinister. Oh yeah. Rams are ram. Yeah, but that's the that was the one that was a little bit most disturbing to me. I, I don't know about you. Well, it sort of does like it brings to it a certain like uh, like a pagan ritualistic, right? Sacrificial, yeah, that's, that's perhaps. It. That's it. That's right. right. And it's interesting because we've seen goats. That's right. And then the old lady face. And I'm wondering. All right, so there's four. There's four masks. There's four dancers. As for key employees, would you make any connection there? Yeah, I was trying to figure that out if there was. But, I mean, it, it would be very specific to MDR because we know that uh, the other departments have different numbers of people. To me, there's like there has to be a reason, right? Like those are four very specific 
choices. I did notice that the old lady's hair is somewhat similar to Miss Cobell's hair. Yeah. Um, not not really sure what to do with that. I think if anyone's a jester, it would be Dylan. Maybe given that the that Mark and Helly have sort of like joked about maybe being married on the outside. Because remember this, I think that they were planning on doing this for Mark. Mm. I don't think that they were prepared for Dylan, him to actually say. So you think this was, this isn't just the typical. No, I think that every time you get the waffle party, you get the same. I think they they designed this for Mark. Mm. I don't know about the Ram. I don't know about the old lady face. I'm not sure about much else. I'm just calling it out. Just calling it out. It is one of the more memorable scenes of the show so far. It's so macabre, and then it's and then it's uh, juxtaposed with Cobell's uh, uh, just full on meltdown. Right? She's tearing down her altar, and yeah. So to me, this is interesting. I mean, this is sort of the one thing about this show. I shouldn't say it's the one thing about this show, but. Um... It's an outlier because it's almost like the re- this is a reward for something that includes some sort of psychosexual. Well, and, and beyond that, it's a it's an award that is given because of a team effort. Yet yeah. one person gets to experience it. So I'm wondering if there's something about like you're if you're any only ever experiences office life that usually would mean that your any doesn't like get to have a sexual identity mm-hmm. or at least you know the fraternizing is sort of forbidden so they're all kind of like monks they're they're, they're sort of discouraged from lip to lip contact or whatever so they're the expectation is celibacy and yet it's sort of like okay but if you're really good We'll show you a little bit of pornography or something. Right. It, it's really messed up. The whole thing's really messed up. Uh, I mean, especially considering like someone like Miss Casey's only 107 hours old. Right. And then you add to the idea that it's like, it's, it actually is a literal waffle party. I mean, they get a waffle. <laughs> you know, you're going to do something that wacky. I mean, you can call whatever you want to call it. but <laughs> maybe, maybe this is all a scheduling... Uh, snafu that it was just go- <laughs> it was just going to be a waffle and and the dancers yeah. were sent to the wrong room right uh, it's 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 bonkers it is definitely bonkers all right do you have anything else to say about the waffle party uh no i think we, yeah i just was it, those the masks and what they represent is just still like i'm trying to because i did i did initially when when i saw the hair of the one i thought like well that seems like cobell like but i'm like well why would they make a mask specific to her yeah um yeah and and then 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 the one guy comes in and he's a ram <laughs> interesting cuz like cuz on one hand you go okay well maybe there's a like a story being told from the the young bride to this kind of scary scary looking older woman uh-huh. But then but then the other woman's a jester that appears male. I don't know. Uh right. Yeah, it's it's all it's all goofballs. One thing I think is really important to note too, uh, page 197 slaps. <laughs> he's he's got it memorized. So good. He's got it memorized. All right. Mark attends Rickon's book reading party and tells Miss Selvig he plans to quit Lumen. Cobell encourages him to do so. Now this is after Cobell's been let go, still still unsure about what her mo- what she was trying to accomplish. Right. So still don't know that. Um Seemingly, she's had some kind of transformation because she's sort of tearing down the the altar to here at her house. Um, so maybe she's on a similar path as Irv. You know, Irv takes the handbook and smashes the egg inside the, the handbook. 
which looks very much like a Bible, suggesting he's sort of done with the rules and regulations. And she hears that Mark's Audi might be considering quitting. And she's pretty she's pretty excited about this possibility. And so that leads me to the question, is it is this how it works? You just if Mark wants to quit, do they just let him quit? Because he seems pretty important to what they're trying to whatever they're trying to accomplish, he seems integral to it. Right. And that that becomes a, a yeah, that that to me that was a question that I, I took out of that too is like how much agency does he have to do that? And it you know, it's not they've invested a lot of time and energy and probably finances into whatever it is they're doing with them. Um and he's the Audi, so so you can't control him the same way and you can't tell him what to do the same way because now you've got uh, you know, potential press issues and things of that nature, well, also, right? I mean, Cobell can you really fire her? She knows a lot about what happens in Lumen. Exactly. She knows a lot about what happens in Lumen. Right. So th- so if she just, that's a big assumption, right? That she's just going to go and then not retaliate. or. So there's a certain amount of confidence. Like we know we've got either we got something over her or we know that there's going to be a uh, pun intended severance agreement or something like this. Or they have some sort of still have some sort of control over her, which would suggest that maybe she's maybe everybody's chipped in a way they don't realize. Right. Yeah. 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 Cause then it starts, cause it starts to, there's so many questions about like, when are they being watched and why are they not being watched all the time? Um, you know, how much can Milchek see? How much does he know? How is, how is anybody away, able to get away with anything ever? <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of getting away with something, Dylan leaves midway to access the security office and activates the overtime contingency to awaken Mark, Irv, and Helly's innies in the outside world. Okay. Now, you were the person that kind of alerted me to this in our previous conversation. Uh, but I want to call these out again. The different modes that an employee can be in when they're severed is beehive branch transfer, clean slate, elephant, freeze frame, Glasgow, goldfish, lullaby, open house, and overtime. Seemingly we know what overtime is, right? Mm -hmm. Overtime means it's your work consciousness in the outside world. Right. It's it's Mm -hmm. something very specific. It's not like a, reintegration or anything like that it's it's your work self it's it's the innie waking up as an audi um and you suggested before that you thought maybe irv was in like a goldfish state right meaning like um like he's just going in around a circle or what did you what did yeah you so that? basically just the same like he's got like oh get up do this do, 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 do. all right let's go do that again and then let's just go do that again. And let's just go do that. Let's just sort of. So he's just in a in a, in a cycle, a never-ending mm-hmm. cycle. All right. Right. And I think that we suggested that, um, I don't know, did we say what we thought Beehive might be? Um, I don't know, but it's, that's a question, right? Like, so you could, there's a few ways to think of a Beehive. Um, one of it's sort of being just loud and <laughs> chaotic. The other side of that is like that's uh, like worker bees doing worker bee stuff, right? Yeah, you're just a drone or something, right? So that um, would you could almost like you could oh maybe almost make the argument to some degree maybe maybe Miss Casey was beehived for a while. Sure, okay. Branch transfer. Uh, that to me would suggest that you go to another department and you don't remember you were in a different department. Right, right, right. So you keep your cultural memory and maybe you've lost your personal memories of the previous department or something. Because mm-hmm. you could think like, all right, see you later, Bert. And, you know, everyone assumes that Bert is happily retired. But in reality, Bert could just be making deviled eggs or whatever. Right. Um, clean slate. Uh, you suggested before that that's just wipes everything, all memory. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Elephants suggest that you always remember, right? Never right. 
Yeah, that's what, what we said. And then, yeah, I think we said with the clean slate too. Like, and think about it, thinking about it now, like here, these guys are about to go out. Uh, you know, assume that this overtime contingency works. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, how do you get them back? Well, maybe you maybe you can clean slate them, and, and they just come back to work, and like it's day one. Another option for Irv would be freeze frame. Mm -hmm. um, depending on what that is, I mean, I guess you could suggest that that person is is constantly living in the same moment over and over and over again, right? So, right. Um, I did a little bit of research on Glasgow. Uh, it, it, it's possible that you we overlapped research. Did you have mm. a sense of what Glasgow is? No. Okay, I did. I did research on Glasgow. So there's something called the Glasgow Coma Score, and so there are different levels of comas that you can be in. Um, you know, sort of ranging from almost conscious to really, really not conscious. Mm. Um, and so my my thought was that Glasgow means coma. Okay. Uh, that that would be my guess on that. Lullabies, I think, just puts you to sleep. We know what overtime is. Open house. Any ideas? That makes me wonder if people can get into your brain. Oh, jeez. I mean, it's aren't they already in the brain? <laughs> well, I mean, like you can, you you're free to now see things through them, or or uh, oh. like you access them. Huh. Or more people can, you know, because when I think of an open house, what you see, like, whether it's a, you know, if it's an actual, like, uh, um, real estate type situation, right? You had to go in and get to see everything kind of staged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, all right. Let's, let's jump into spoilers here. I think that we got an answer in this question. I think I might have brought up this question in a previous episode was, why... Why why is the way that they're surveilling Mark so low tech? Mm -hmm. Whereas they they have pretty advanced neurotechnology. That's one of the things that keeps getting me about all the technology that uh, the Lumen employees interact with versus um, like the medical staff. Right, right, right. Get to work with. Well, I, I think that I think part of it gets answered this episode. We know that Cobell's moonlighting as miss selvig is totally off the books right so she doesn't really have access to all of lumen's resources so because... almost like everybody once you get into that section you're you you are limited right uh with what technology you can interact with sure 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 because if if open house is what you say it is you know why isn't why aren't people just looking through mark's eyes right um Unless the Severance Project is both worlds. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Um, the other thing for spoilers that I noted was, uh, do you know who Michael Silbury is? He's an actor. No, no, I don't think so. Uh, you'd probably recognize him. Anyway, he was the voice of of the Cure graphic. Okay. And on the IDMB page... He's supposed to be the present CEO. That actor is playing the present CEO of Lumen. Oh, okay. And he, I guess he's a he's an Egan descendant. Mm. So my, th I mean, who knows whether he'll be in season two or not? But I thought I would, thought that was an interesting connection. It's just it's as far as like a a penultimate episode goes. It's pretty good, right? I mean, it's great. Uh, great cliffhanger. Oh, it's it's this is like this perfect cliffhanger. I kind of figured that the final episode would be him doing this, Dylan doing this, and then we get like a brief glimpse into the Audi world, and then it's over. But it's like I remember first time I saw this, I'm like, wait, we're gonna get a whole episode post, <laughs> you know, post overtime contingency. Yeah. No, it's it's. It's wild. I did note that uh, I was looking at who directed the episodes. Mm -hmm. um, my sense is that the writing credits for each episode are kind of 
they don't tell the whole story um, because with writers' rooms, some people they just sometimes they just sort of divvy out credit, even though kind of everyone's thumbprints is on every every screenplay. But with directing, usually the listed director is the person who actually directed the the show. And it looks like what Stiller did was Stiller did the first three episodes and the last three episodes. And then there was another director for the the middle three. Okay. Did you sense that there was sort of a lag or a a tonal shift in the middle of the season? I don't think so. I didn't feel like that either. I felt like it was pretty, it kind of built. Yeah, yeah. No, everything felt, yeah, everything was felt like it was on like a, uh, a logical trajectory, at least a tone and everything just kept yeah. moving towards it. I didn't feel any shift. And I remember I made it, I made a note too. Benson note looking at uh, the director when the director changed, I was like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known, you know, I'm sure there's right. some stamps that they, they put on their own, but I mean, they did a really good job of keeping it. Cause sometimes that you do that with series, right? Like all of a sudden one episode clearly feels different than another, even if it's still moving the story along. I mean, even with Barry, um, you know, I don't know if the first season was this way, but basically the last few seasons were Bill Hader. You know, he basically directed all of them. Yeah. But even with this last season of Barry, I did feel like there were a couple laggy episodes. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, this this first season was, I, it was like every episode was better than the in the last. Yeah, it was it was surgical. All right. Well, I think we've prepped well enough for the season finale. Yes, sir. Which I'm looking forward to. Is it the Frank or the Beans?